When people sit around and talk about uh, heaven, they eventually get around to the, to the question of what would you ask God when you get there, right? Any conversations about heaven or about death, somebody always is going to say, okay, what would you ask God? What questions would you ask God when you get to heaven? Um, and so I thought of, of a few um, and, and then we're going to do something and, and kind of give you the opportunity to participate in this a little bit. So um, one of the questions that I think a, a lot of people might ask would be something like, uh, God, what's the deal with the platypus? <laughs> yeah, you've seen a platypus, right? It's like God got to the end of the day and he just went, I don't know, I got a bunch of parts left over. <laughs> Just throw them together and see what we um, come up with. Uh, or, or how about this one? This one always comes up in any question about any discussion about God. Um, God, why in the world did you create mosquitoes? What's like? What's the point? Like I understand. Like okay, after Adam and Eve sin, they get kicked out of the garden, and God's like, mosquitoes, man, get them. But I think mosquitoes existed before that, and so how did that work? What were they sucking the blood out of? A little gross for Sunday morning right off the bat. But anyway, um, mosquitoes, it's like, why in the world did you create mosquitoes? Now, we're going to do something else a, a little different here. I've never, never done this, and so a little, a, a little bit of audience participation um, this morning. So what I, I want you to do is... I want you, each and every one of you, uh, whether you're here uh, in the building or you're watching us uh, online, you're, you're participating with us from your living room or wherever, uh, or Tracy who's watching from the cab of his truck driving down the road probably, um, I, I, don't close your eyes, but I want you to think of the question that you would ask God, okay? The question you would ask God, and I am going to kind of be like a dream catcher, and as you are thinking about the question you would ask God, I'm going to see if I can figure out the question that most of you would ask, okay? So I'm going to try and, I'm going to con you concentrate on what your question is. I'm going to try and concentrate and see if I can figure, like I've watched this on America's Got Talent, right? I'm going to try it. Um, I'm going to see if I can figure out, like I'm going to filter out everything and try to come up with the number one question from each of your minds. See if we can filter it out. Okay, you ready? You have your question? Can you concentrate? Because I, I, I need to be able, I got I to gotta get it. Okay. Are you ready? Okay, go. Uh, okay. All right, something's coming. It's beginning to get clear. Okay, the first word is Why? Okay, I'll give you that one. That was easy. Okay, just, okay, don't laugh. Concentrate. Okay. Okay, why, why did you, okay, it's getting clear, clear. Okay, all right, I got it. You can relax. You don't have to concentrate anymore. I got it. The question that most of you are asking in your mind is this, God, why did you create male and female sex drives so different? <laughs> Look, I'm, you thought it. I'm just saying it. That's, uh, that's on you. <laughs> okay. I'm, 
Okay, I'm glad you're laughing because we're making fun of that a little bit. You'll see it'll come uh, back up a little later. I, I think, I think w when I get to heaven, here's the question that I probably am going to want to ask God. Number one question that I think I would ask um, God. God, you know everything that I've ever said. You know everything that I've ever done. And, and you're God, so it's like right there. It's like I just did it. I just said it. God, you also know everything I've ever thought. Because of that, how can you love me so much? In this series, um, we're going to flip the script a little bit. And instead of focusing on the questions that we might ask God when we get to heaven, we're going to look at some of the questions that God asks us. Questions like, why are you so afraid? What's your name? Now, that one seems kind of silly, but I hope you'll figure that out. We're going to lay it out in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to tackle this question, who are you seeking? But we're kicking off the series today by looking at Jesus' question to the lame man as he sat by the pool of water. And, and he asked him this question, do you want to be healed? And that, that seems like a strange question. When you're reading down through the story, Jesus is supposed to be this loving, um, kind, generous, merciful person. And, and yet he comes to this man who's been sitting by the pool, been laying by the pool for a very long time. And he, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? And it, and it seems it, it seems odd. It seems out of place. It, it seems obnoxious of Jesus, but it's an important question because a heart of, of Jesus' question to this man can be a painful reality for us. Why are you placing your hope in an inanimate object? Why are you seeking healing for this man in particular? Why are you seeking healing from a hole in the ground? So our goal over the next um, five weeks as we look at this questions from Jesus, our, our goals are, are really good. There's going to be um, two goals. Um, goal number one is um, we want to figure out the reason that Jesus is asking the question. There's something behind what's just on the surface as we look at the stories and, and, and we see Jesus' interaction with these people. And so we, we want to get behind that. What's the reason that Jesus asks the particular question or he asks the question in that specific way? And the second thing we want to look at is how our answers can help us look more like Jesus in our everyday lives. Because we know that Jesus asks questions for a reason. He doesn't just say anything. In fact, Jesus says that he does only what he sees the Father doing. And then when the Father speaks, he speaks. And so we know that there's more going on to the questions that Jesus asks us. And when we understand what our answers to those questions might be, we can look more like Jesus. So Jesus doesn't ask the man by the pool, do you want to be healed to be funny? He doesn't ask him that question to be snarky. He asks him that question because he knows where help and healing come from. 
And, and so it's our, it's our bottom line today, and, and I haven't done that for a while, so get used to it, okay? Our bottom line for today is that God is our help and our healer. God is your help and your healer. And then there's a good chance that you're here today, either in person or watching us um, online, there's a good chance that, that you're here today because you maybe need one of those things. You need help in some area of your life, or there's something going on that needs to be healed. Maybe it's a physical thing in your body. And you're like, God, I've got this, I've got this pain, I've got this thing going on, and, and I need some healing and maybe just over the last couple weeks something has come up in your in your life and maybe you haven't even really shared it with anybody but but in your spirit you you like I, like god i need your help in this M- maybe it's one of those things that's more difficult it's not a physical thing that that somebody might see or that causes you uh, difficulty physically but it's more of an emotional thing and you're struggling with that, maybe it's fear or doubt or anxiety or depression, and, and, and you're just, you just need some healing in that area, and you need God to show up in that some way. Maybe it's relationship stuff. Maybe it's at work with a, with a co-worker, with your spouse, or in another relationship, and, and there's just tension, and there's frustration, and there's back and forth there, and you need some healing in that as well. Today, I want to make sure that you walk away understanding that God is your help and your healer. And you can look at a lot of different places and you can go a lot of different places to find those two things, to find help and healing, but it will only ever come from God. Let's pray. God, just thank you for bringing us here um, this morning and, and, and every year this this Sunday morning it's a rough morning because the time changes and we lose that hour of sleep and we're uh, groggy and tired and need a little more caffeine or, or whatever but God I thank you for bringing us here today because you brought us we may have got up out of bed, we may have got dressed and got in the car and driven down here, we, we may have got up and, and went to the room and turned the TV on and, and, and logged on to, to Facebook or whatever, but you're the one who inspired us to be here this morning. And so you have something for us today. And so I just ask, God, that our, our ears would be open, not just to hear, but to understand and obey what it is that you would share with us today. And that our eyes would be open, God, not just to, to see what's on the surface, to, but to see beyond that, to see what you're doing or what you're trying to do in our lives, in our relationships, in our physical body. And that ultimately, God, we would come to recognize you alone as our help and our healer in every aspect of our lives. And, and so, God, would you, just, um, would you just do that today? Uh, thank you for your presence here and speak to us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to jump into John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to be in the first several um, verses of John 5. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can do that. If you have a mobile device or something that you can um, pull that up on, it will be up here on the screen. And um, if you're joining us online uh, at live.reallifecc.us, you can click on the notes tab at the top right-hand corner of your screen. Uh, or if you're, whether you're in person or online, you can go to reallifecc.us. Click on the My Message Notes link, and all of the notes and scripture references will be there as well. So, John chapter 5, the first three verses. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And we don't know what feast, but it was one of about three feasts that all Jewish men were required to go to in Jerusalem every year. And so, um, just know that the feast is not important. Which feast it is d doesn't matter to the story. But what does matter is that Jesus was there and he had gone to Jerusalem, so he'd followed the law of God to go to Jerusalem to this feast. And there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. And in Aramaic, that pool is called Bethesda. And it has five roofed colonnades. And in these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and Paralyzed. Now, there's some important bits of information in, in these first three verses. And if we're going to understand the rest of the story, and we're going to get to the point where Jesus finally asked the question, do you want to be healed? We need to understand what's going on here because it plays an important part in, in our understanding of what's coming next. So ancient peoples had a real knack for calling things as they were. Um, like we would say maybe today, well, they weren't very creative, and, and maybe they weren't, but they, they were very utilitarian. Like, they just, called, they just called it like they see it, right? And so um, in Jerusalem, there is a gate called the Sheep Gate. Do you want to know why it's called the Sheep Gate? Well, I'm going to tell you if you don't know what, want to know why. It's called the Sheep Gate because that's the gate the sheep came through. Oh, amazing. So in uh, worship of God in Jerusalem. For the Israelites, sheep played an important role. In fact, um, more than any other animal, sheep were offered for a variety of different kinds of sacrifices. And so there is a steady stream through the sheep gate, uh, uh, through a small portion. There wasn't very uh, much distance between that gate in the wall of, around Jerusalem and where the temple proper sat. And so it wasn't a very great distance, and so the sheep would be brought in, they'd be run through that portion of the city to get into the temple so that they could be offered for the sacrifices. And, and during a feast like the one here, the, sheep, uh, the number of sheep that were going into the temple would have been greatly increased. And so some estimate that, that in Jerusalem proper in a normal um, day or month of the year, there were maybe a, a hundred thousand, um, maybe a couple hundred thousand people um, in Jerusalem and, and right around Jerusalem. But during the feasts, when people were required to come and to offer sacrifices and to worship God there at the temple, the, the, the population of Jerusalem got vastly higher. Like up towards a million or more people, like just people flooded in to the area. It was absolutely crazy. And, and so you can imagine that the normal stream of sheep from the sheep gate into the temple on a normal day, a normal month would be pretty steady, but it would be fairly small compared to what it would be like if now um, eight or 900,000 or a million people were in the city and, and the sheep that it would take 
to make all of those sacrifices. It was a steady stream of sheep into the temple. Now it is possible, we don't know this for sure, but it is, it is possible, maybe it's even probable, I don't know, I, I don't understand it all that much, and as far as I could tell, nobody does, but it is possible that at this pool that is near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, this might be where parts of the sheep sacrifices, the innards and the thighs of the sheep, might be washed before either being sacrificed or being given to the priest. So it depended on what the um, sacrifice was. So there were sin um, offerings that had to be made. There were free will offerings, guilt offerings, and burnt offerings. Those were the major ones that um, people would give. And depending on the offering, there were parts of the sheep that were required by God to be washed in water. After they were skinned and prepped, they had to be washed in water before being offered or moving on to the next stage. Now, it is possible that this pool that John mentions is near or is fed by the water in which the sheep parts are washed. That sounds kind of gross to us, I think. How many of you want to clean an animal in the bathtub and then take a bath? Um, not very many. That, that's disgusting. But remember um, that this is ancient time. Like they don't have clean water. They they don't have like they don't have sanitation like we do today. And so it's totally different time. And and so if this was a larger body of water, this was not that big of a deal. Like they'd be like, oh yeah, I I done worse things in worse places than this all the time. Like it's not a big, it's not a big thing. But that will come into play in just a few minutes. So just keep that in the back of your mind, that this might have been the place where the sacrifices were washed before they were offered. Now the name of the pool was Bethesda, or maybe in your translation, if you're looking at it in a different translation, it might be um, called Bethzana or Bethsaida. All of those words mean the same thing in the original language. They all mean house of mercy. And again, it's probable, it's possible, maybe likely, I don't know, that the site of this pool, this house of mercy, was an ancient hospital of some sort. And so um, there might be uh, the thought that this pool provided some kind of healing property, and and so people would come from all around, they would um, line up around this, and and there'd be um, lame and infirm people there, and um, they just kind of made a hospital there, because that's where the people who were seeking help and healing for their ailments went. This was a natural thing to do. And and part of the thing that I think lends credibility to that is that um, what's really odd is that there were five porches, five colonnades around this body of water. And nobody really knows why. It's, it's odd. It's, it's different. In fact, it wasn't very long ago when, when the pool of Bethesda was finally excavated in Jerusalem. They, they discovered it um, well below the, the city, um, uh, the floor of the city today. And, and guess what? They, they found that there was the remnants of five porches. <laughs> People thought John was crazy, that he made it up, that it wasn't, wasn't real, until they found the archaeological evidence and they're like, oh yeah, there's five porches. And that would make sense because if this had become a hospital for the, the sick and the lame, 
they would need to protect those people from the elements because they wouldn't be able to protect themselves, right? And so um, they maybe built these porches, these colonnades around to protect people. This is a desert climate, so protect them from the sun and then protect them from other elements during the rest of um, the year. And so they would need to be protected. Well, there's another reason that this place might be uh, special, and, and John mentioned it the way it does, and then the interaction that's going to happen between Jesus and the layman happens the way it does. I, I think people believed that this particular pool had some special healing properties. Now, again, if you're reading in your Bible, if you have a, uh, your mobile device or whatever you're following, you might notice that verse 4 does not appear in your Bible. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5. Now, verse 4 might be included in, in your particular translation, but there's probably a note there, there's probably parentheses there, or verse 4 is included at the bottom at the footnote of the, of the page, or if, um, you know, if you're welcome to technology, just click on the little number and it pops up a little window that gives you the information. What probably happened is that years and years ago, a scribe who was copying the Gospel of John by hand, and would have done this hundreds, maybe thousands of times, had come to this story. He knew the story well, and he knew what was going to happen in verse 7. And so in order to help you and I, the, the reader of John chapter 5, understand verse 7, he added a note in verse 4. And, and in the note, he, he said, um, again, verse 4, you can look at the footnote or whatever in, in your Bible. Um, and, and what he says is that people believe that an angel would periodically come to this pool of Bethesda and stir the water. And when that happened, when the water bubbled or gurgled or did whatever it did, the first person into the pool after the water stirs got healed. Okay, so that's verse 4. Um, again, every major um, Bible-like translator and people that have looked at this has said that original, John's original gospel most likely didn't include verse 4, and that's why it's a footnote or whatever in your Bible. And probably the scribe was just trying to help us understand a little better what's going to come in verse 7. So this idea that a place or a thing might bring healing into our lives is not a new idea. You can Google places, um, uh, you can just go to Google, you can type in uh, places or locations of healing, and you'll get a ton of different uh, 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 hits on, on that. Um, uh, a bunch of different ones like, like this one. Um, and I'm going to butcher this, okay, because I went to Bible college and you didn't have to have a second language to go to Bible college. So um, I didn't have one in school. Uh, anyway, so the name of this place is called El Santuario de Chimeo. Uh, and find it really easier to say the sanctuary of Chimeo, because uh, that's what that means, okay? I had to Google translate that too. Anyway, several um, miles from the nearest church, a crucifix was found uh, half buried in the ground. The person who found it decided that that crucifix probably belonged in the church. And so uh, the story goes that they dug up the crucifix, they took it to the church and, and, and gave it and said, hey, I, you know, I found this buried in the ground, blah, 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 whatever. Um, here it is. The night after it was dropped off at the church, it disappeared 
and was found the next day buried back in its original place in the ground. And, and so um, they dug it up and they took it back to the church and uh, left it there. And that night it came back. So three different times they took the cross to the church and the next day it had disappeared from the church and reappeared half buried in the ground. And so finally they went, okay, get the picture. Uh, and they moved the church or they built a shrine around the crucifix that was buried in the ground. Because obviously this was a special spot that this crucifix needed to, to be here. Well, people found out about it. They began to hear the story. And so they began to go see this miraculous cross that had been buried and, and transported and, and whatever. And, and pretty soon, stories of miraculous healings begin to circulate. People had gone to see this cross that had moved and been buried back in the ground, and then they began to say that they were healed from their diseases and problems and, and whatever. And pretty soon, they had to build a large church around the shrine that had been built previously because thousands of people were coming to this spot to be healed. And that the people who would go there would sometimes crawl on the ground for miles in order to get to this church and see this cross. And when they got there, they would take some of the dirt around the cross and they would rub it on their bodies wherever their physical ailment was. And, and if it was internal, some of them would even ingest some of the dirt in order to be healed. Now, this is not unheard of even in the Bible, right? I mean, and I don't know. Look, I'm generally a skeptical person, and, and so I hear those stories, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know? <laughs> like, legends happen from a lot of different ways and, and, and well-meaning people and, and things, but I don't know. But it happens in the Bible. There are times when physical objects are used to heal, let me give you a few examples. In um, 2 Kings chapter 5, there's an Aramean commander of the army. Okay, these are enemies of Israel. And this Aramean commander was named Naaman, and he had leprosy. And he comes to Israel, and he says, I hear that your God can heal me. And Elisha the prophet finds out about it. And Elisha tells Naaman to go and bathe in the Jordan River seven times, and then he'll be healed. And Naaman initially is irritated because the prophet Elisha doesn't even come out of his house to tell Naaman personally. He sends his secretary and says, go tell him what to do, and Naaman's upset. But when Naaman goes to the Jordan River and he washes seven times, his leprosy is gone. When the Israelites were wandering through the desert, those 40 years in the book of Exodus that they were wandering around, they, they sinned, they disobeyed God, they, they, they angered him, they broke the covenant with him. And so um, God had been protecting the people from the snakes in the desert. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's lots of snakes in the desert, which is why I don't go to the desert. Um, they don't like snakes because snakes are Satan, but that's a whole other message. Um, so uh, anyway, God had been protecting the Israelites from the snakes, and when they sinned, God was like, okay, you broke covenant with me. I'm going to kind of lift the barrier, and the snakes are going to come in, and they begin to bite the Israelite people, and they begin to die. And so Moses prays to God and says, God, what do we do? And, and God says, um, Moses, make a snake out of bronze and mount it on a pole and walk it through the camp. And anybody who's been bitten by this poisonous snake can look at the bronze serpent on the pole and they won't die. They'll be, they'll be healed. God used uh, an ark 
to save Noah. He stopped the sun from going down in order to save the Israelites so that they could defeat their enemy. And he even used a cross to pay for the sin of the world. Like This is not new, right? Like God has used different things in different times and places and ways to bring about healing for people. The problem is that we corrupt the tools God uses and we turn them into God's themselves. And so many years after Moses built the bronze snake on the, on the pole and marched it through Israel, the Israelites uncover, they, they rediscover this bronze snake and, and instead of remembering the story and remembering all that God had done, they bring the snake out on the pole, they mount it, and they begin to worship and bow down to this almighty snake on the pole. Because God gave us the sun and the moon to tell time and, and seasons, right? That's what, what we used long before we had clocks and calendars and things. But because of, of their importance in the sky, some people bow down and worship the sun and the moon as though they themselves are gods. Because the stars have been used in ancient times for important things to get around, for navigation and different stuff. Um, some people spend a lot of their lives looking at the stars. Or maybe not looking and worshiping the stars, but the information that comes from the stars. You know the information I'm talking about? The horoscopes that you read in the paper? It comes from the stars. And so um, we spend a lot of time finding out if our day is going to be good or bad based on the stars as though they are God and can give us information. Because money is important in our culture. Sometimes we worship it, we'll turn our spouses or our kids or our hobbies, our, our homes or our cars or even our jobs sometimes into gods and we treat them as more important than the one true God. And none of us would say that, like just blatantly say that, right? Nobody would, would go, oh yes, I, I worship my children or, or my car or my house or whatever and that's my, my God. None of us would say that, but in practicality, we can act like that. We can sin in order to make our spouse or keep our spouse in, in love with us. So we can break God's law in order to keep a spouse happy. Or we can um, put our kids on that pedestal. And we say, well, our kids need to do this or that or the other thing, and so I, I don't have time for God. And, and, and look, I mean, we don't do this maybe necessarily intentionally, but we'll say, look, I'm just so busy. I've got to do all of these other things. And we can always find time to go hang out with a neighbor while he's turning wrenches in the garage and drink a cold one with him or whatever. But finding five or ten minutes to read our Bible in the morning, ah, that's just too much. You see how the things in our lives can become God's for us. And so we'll consistently put God second in order to put other things first. Now, there's a real simple reason that God, God's first command to Moses and the people of Israel was, was, was this. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? Like when God gives Moses and, and gives Israel the law, the first ten commandments, the very first one is don't have any other gods before me. And there's a real simple reason. God doesn't want you and I to have any other gods before him because there is no other God but him. 
You see how simple that is? Like, look, don't have any other gods before me because there's no other God. And so if you need help or you need healing, you're not going to find it from anybody or anything except me. And so God doesn't want you wasting your time worshiping the sun or the moon or money or crystals or physics, psychics or places of healing or some prayer cloth that some preacher sent you after you gave him a bunch of money. He doesn't want you chasing waterfalls or rainbows or some political personality. He doesn't want you to do any of that. And he doesn't want you to do that because of this point right here. Created things can't offer what you're after. If you're in need of help or healing, created things cannot offer what you're after. You want to know why so many people are disillusioned in their relationships or with fame or fortune, you know, and we we hear about people who seem to have it all on the outside, but then take their own lives. Why is it that we're frustrated with our families and with the things that we've placed our faith and our trust and our hope in? It's because those things can't offer what we're after. They can't provide the wholeness and the the healing and the help that we need. Stuff won't make you happy. A relationship won't make you whole. Money won't ease your mind. That addiction that you've been given into for a very long time, it won't lessen your agony. You can look to all sorts of other things, but help and healing only ever come from God. Nothing else provides it. Let's get on with John chapter 5. Here's what the next few verses say. Jesus is there by the pool. He's walking around the pool. We already know that there's a whole bunch of people there who need healing. And that's why they're there at the pool. Because they expect to be healed at some point. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now we already know, again, that people were there because they think this is a place of healing. And many people were there, and um, even this man had been coming to the pool for 38 years. And so that leaves two options for me. I'm like, this guy could either be praised for his persistence. Like, man, you are consistent, buddy. Like every day you're here, 38 years waiting to be healed. That's awesome, man. Good job. Or we could go, you're an idiot. (laughs) 38 years you've been coming to the same place, waiting for healing, and it hadn't happened. Think about it this way. If you went to a doctor who promised you healing and was happy to take your money every time you went to see him, but um, wasn't providing that healing, you'd quit going, right? And then probably most of us would only last about 38 days. (laughs) Well, like, you're not cutting it. I'm going to go to somebody else um, who will actually provide me the things that I need or want. So I'm not sure whether to praise this guy for his persistence or, um, like, go, you're just being dumb. (laughs) I don't know. But I think it's important for us to notice that Jesus walked past all the other paralyzed and blind and lame people that were there in order to get to this one man. So part of my question is, why did he choose him? 
Did he choose him because he'd been there waiting for healing longer than anybody else? Did he choose him because of the way he looked? And maybe when Jesus showed up, the man looked at him some certain way, and, and, and Jesus was just kind of drawn to him. What Was it this man's faith or his um, attitude or his righteousness in his own life? The, the, the answer is, we, we don't know. We're not given any indication about this guy's life. And so when we get to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? We're like, oh, Jesus, like settle down a little bit. Like that's a little obnoxious, like right out of the box. You're just like, what are you doing here? Do you even want to be healed? This man's been waiting here for 38 years. Of course he wants to be healed. That's why he's here in the first place. Again, except that, except that if you and I were waiting to be healed, we might take another path. Look, we often excuse the things it's going to come up. We often excuse the things we can't change or really the things we don't want to change. Do you, do you, like we do that in our lives, right? I'm not the only one. We make excuses for the things we can't or don't want to change. Well, that was just how I was raised. That's just who I am. That's just my personality. Or that's, you know, this happened to me or that happened to me. And so that's why I am the way I am. And so I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to do anything about it. I'm just going to make excuses for it. So let's look at um, how the man answered Jesus' question. He says, sir, because he doesn't know Jesus is Jesus, right? He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. That's where verse 4 comes into play. Like now it makes sense, right? Like, oh, yeah, I get that. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Now notice what the man doesn't say, because I think it's way more important than what he does say. If you have been waiting to be healed for 38 years and somebody walks up and says, do you want to be healed? Your answer is, yes, please. I've been waiting for a long time. But he didn't do that. Do you want to be healed? And he gives two excuses. His first excuse um, uh, is this. He says, well, um, nobody is here to put me in the water. Nobody's here to help me get in the water. Now, if I were Jesus and I was standing there with him that day, my response might have been, um, okay, nobody's here to get you in the water, but who brought you here this morning? Because you couldn't get here on your own. Who, who brought you here? Your friends or your family took time out of their day, maybe left the kids alone or whatever. Maybe they were late to work in order to get you to the pool today, um, and you are angry because they didn't, give up their livelihood and their lives to hang out with you by the pool in case the water might be stirred so that they could throw you in. So you're angry that the people who already gave up part of their day for you are not giving up more of their time or day for you. And, and so um, to me, I, I would ask, so um, you think that your problem should be everybody else's problem too. That's, and that's cold and that's harsh, but um, 
sometimes that's the way I think, right? And, and so I, th I think especially because he doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed. He just makes an excuse. And so I think, okay, let's deal with this. And the second excuse he, he makes, he's like, okay, that one's not, not enough. The second excuse he makes is that he says, well, when the water is stirred, other people beat me into the pool. And so basically what he's saying is, for 38 years, I've come in second. And again, I think my response might be something like this. Just so I get this right, <laughs> um, the other lame and disabled people who are waiting by the pool to get healing just like you should recognize that your pain and problem is worse than their pain and problem, and those, so they should just let you go first because you've got it worse. Like that's what you're saying, right? Like your challenge is uh, worse than theirs, and so out of the kindness of their heart, they should just let you um, go in. And, and like I guess I'm glad Jesus didn't say um, any of that stuff. Here's what Jesus does say, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now, maybe it was because he'd been there waiting longer than anybody else that Jesus chose this particular man out of all the other people that were there. I don't know. John told us in verse 6 that Jesus already knew the man's story. If you remember, he said he, Jesus already knew that he'd been there a long time. And, and he knew that because Jesus is God. And so Jesus knew the excuses he was going to give for why he hadn't been healed before he gave them. He knew that the man was going to play the victim card. He knew that he was going to say, look, it's not my fault I'm not healed, Jesus. It's my friends and family. It's their fault that I haven't been healed. It's the other people who need healing as well. It's their fault. They don't let me get in first, even though they know I have it worse than they do. Jesus chose him because that's who Jesus wanted to choose. And honestly, that's a little difficult for me to handle. Because I want to have a reason. I want, I want to know, you know, if I'm dealing with somebody who's in a problem, or I, like, I want to know that they're taking some responsibility for themselves, that they're trying to get out of the situation, and then I want to, to help. And I'm like, I'm willing to help you as long as you're willing to help yourself. And Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus chose him because that's who he wanted to choose. And, and sometimes we miss this because we, we might ask this question, God, why were we born in a time and a place that far exceeds every other time and place in all of history that we could have been born into? Do, do you realize that? We are far better off, regardless of who's in the White House, we are far better off, far more financially stable, um, far more connected. They're, they're, this time, this generation, this point in our planet cannot be matched by any other time in history. We have it exceedingly good. Why did God cho choose you and me to be here and now? 
I think it, maybe we need to look at what God told Moses in Exodus 33, 19. He says this, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I will have compassion. It's God's way of, of saying this, and this is my oldest son's um, number one rule. Every so often, he just, said, he just looks at us and says, rule number one. And so this is God's way of saying, I do what I want. <laughs> I, I'm God. Moses, I'm God, and it doesn't matter what reasons you think or what your brain goes, like the Bible tells us that who can know the mind of, of God? We, we can't. It's impossible for us to know what God knows and to figure out the things God has figured out. And, and so God just does what he wants, and, and we have to come to this place where we go, okay, God, whatever you do is, is good. And so as Christians, we, we say God is good. Not because we feel good all the time and not because the things that we go through are good all the time, but because in faith we know that God is good because He's God. Every person, person at the pool that day was waiting for a miracle, but God chose the one I probably would have passed by. And I think it's our default I think it's our default to believe that my pain, my problem, my psychosis, my predicament is the worst. Nobody else has it as bad as I do. I got a, a, a sliver in my finger. Ugh, my day's ruined. It's the worst. Nobody else. I, I don't care what you've gone through. I have this thing, and it's the absolute worst. And I think the reason we feel that is because if our thing is the worst thing, then I deserve help and healing the most. God, my situation is worse, and so you need to take care of me. And the fact that there is no indication that this man by the pool for 38 years was righteous. There's no redeeming statement in his story. Nothing about his character or the condition of his heart. Nothing to redeem him in this story makes the overwhelming love of Jesus for him that much more amazing. The help and hope and healing that you're searching for today doesn't come from created things. It only comes from the creator. And you may be putting your hope in I don't know, healing crystals or horoscopes or some spiritual practice or ritual that you found on the internet or on YouTube or from some social media influencer that you follow. But any relief, any help or healing that you have received, whether some prayer cloth paid for uh, by some seed that you have given somebody or... Um, or some pill that you saw somebody take, and so you are taking it as well. Whatever form your help or healing came through, it came from God. That crucifix half buried in the dirt in Mexico doesn't bring healing. God does, but that doesn't. It's His grace, His mercy. His choice. So the question today is, what have you been clinging to or hoping in? Who have you been blaming when what you hoped for hasn't happened? Because sometimes we search for help and healing in things 
And then when they don't bring that help or healing, we blame God. Why are you seeking help or healing from something created instead of the one who created it? Listen to Psalm 121 and and make it your prayer this week. If you've been searching for help or healing in anything else, remember this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. See, it's time for us to stop putting our hope in stuff and start putting it in the Savior. And and so um, at the risk of stepping on some toes or making some people upset, I want to tell you, trash those worthless crystals. They do not bring you healing or or, or whatever. Now look, I know, we've taken Trent to the witch doctor, we call her in Kansas City, and she's done some funky little things on him that mess with the electrical signals in their body. I get that there's some crazy stuff going on in the world that we don't understand, but help and healing comes only from God. It doesn't come from trinkets and things that we get. I think Satan distracts us by getting us to hope in things instead of God. There, there, ten years ago or so, there was a big push about angels. Do you remember? Maybe 20 years now. There were books about angels and stories about angels and TV stations did things about angels showing up in the sky and in people's dreams and, and whatever. And guess what that did? It distracted people from God. And so we read books about angels instead of reading the book about God who created the angels. So, throw away the crystals. Stop, like you've heard me say this before, this is not new for you. Stop reading your horoscope. And I'm saying it wrong on purpose. I know that it's horoscope, but they are horoscope. They, they are not, that God didn't make it, he didn't plan it, he doesn't use it, okay? If you're basing your day or your year or what you do on what you read in the paper that some star somewhere, somebody put it down, it's garbage, Now, you may go, oh, but look, pastor, you don't know that I read this one day and it happened. Would it have happened if you would have read it? (laughs) Did you make it happen because you thought it was going to? Look, it's garbage and Satan is at work to mess all those things up. Stop doing it. Stop trusting in your money or your ability or your family or whatever else it is. I'm telling you. Any hope or healing that you've ever experienced in the whole of your life came from God alone. And so surrender your situation to him. And whether he brings help or healing immediately or only hope that that might change in the future, rest in his goodness and his grace. There is only one God and you get only one life. And so the question for Jesus, the man at the pool, and the question for us today is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Created things can't offer what you're after. And so the power of your healing or help isn't coming from someone or something. God is your help and your healer. Trust in Him. 
And remember that God has an overwhelming love for you that's beyond understanding. And if you get help or healing from God, it's because he walked past a whole bunch of other people in order to bring it to you. And it doesn't mean that he loves the other people less. It just means that by his grace and by his choice and by his mercy, he brought you what it was that you were wanting. And and hopefully he'll bring that to somebody else. But God does what he wants. And, and, and so, look, you, you, maybe some of you up towards the front, you saw that I brought a trash can up here um, today. And maybe you thought that I just had something bad to eat last night, and I wanted to be prepared. That would have been kind of funny and disgusting, but um, that's not why I did it. Um, I brought it up here just as a, a, a bit of a, um, an, an object here. And, and so maybe there's something in your life today that belongs in this trash can. Maybe it's something that you've been hoping in um, or you've been seeking help from. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is just telling you today, like, look, you, it comes from God. It doesn't come from this thing. And maybe it needs to go in here. And so I'm just going to leave it here. And I'm not going to pay attention. and We're not going to do anything. But, um, but, but if you have something, maybe you, maybe you know what it is. When you get home, you know that thing needs to go in the in the trash because that's not where the healing and the help comes from. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it here. Look, if you want to be healed, you've got to know the healer. And, and once you do, you can help others find healing in him as well. And that's the plan, right? That's what God wants to do. God wants to be our help and our healer, and he wants to give us hope so that we can provide that hope to other people. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and thank you for giving all that we have to us. Thank you, God, for being our help and our healer. Forgive us, Father, when we have sought help and healing from lots of other things, even if sometimes there we go, oh, man, God created this thing and so it must be good. But God, we're, man, we so easily corrupt the things that you've created and we've turned them into gods themselves. And so... Father, help us to not have any gods before you. And, and so maybe there's some things in our lives that need to go in the trash can today. Maybe there's some things that have been getting in our way of you. Help us to seek you alone for all help and all healing. God, we want to be healed. and We know it comes from you. And so as you heal us, God, help us to bring that healing to others. And we'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, there's a few things that are um, going on, so I want you to stay um, right there. Continue to join us if you're online. We've got a few special things to um, make you aware of. And so uh, let me fill in the blanks a little bit. Liz is going to come up here um, really quick, and Amber, I think, is going to come up here um, as well. Uh, But let me make you aware. We're waiting for them to come up. Uh, Easter is right around the corner. And so we're making plans. Hopefully this week we're going to get some more information out about what we're doing for Easter. We have decided um, that we are going to do the Easter egg hunt again. Now, um, here is why. Do you feel like there's a little more life and excitement when you come to church the last few weeks? 
So we, we come in, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, but the music, I don't know if anything's changed in the music, but we're, we're singing and we're clapping more than we have in the, all of the last year probably combined. And, and I think that's just a general way that people are feeling. We're excited. The sun is coming out a little bit. Um, we're ready to be done with this pandemic stuff and all of that junk that's been going on. And we're ready to come and to worship God with all of our being. And so um, that's been exciting and that's been, um, that's been awesome. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to give every opportunity for people to come to church and to meet Jesus. And, and so we're going to do the Easter egg hunt again because we believe that people want their kids to get back to some normalcy in their lives. Um, still in El Dorado, there's a lot of churches that aren't, that aren't doing kids ministry right now. The kids are missing out on that. Um, and that saddens me. So, um, so we're going to do Easter egg hunt. We expect to do it at East Park. We're, we're working on the time and um, all of that stuff. But you'll get information about that um, really quickly. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.